Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All right, welcome to another episode of Talking Ball with Pat Leonard. I am the New York Daily News NFL columnist and Giants beat writer. This is the year 2024, and we have hit the ground running in the NFL and the NFC East, and that is an understatement. We have the Dallas Cowboys already flying to Cancun, choking away another playoff berth. We have the Philadelphia Eagles looking like one of the worst teams in football, let alone the worst team in the playoffs this year. We have the Giants here in New York, New Jersey, in disarray, internal dysfunction. We are going to talk about my exclusive story in the New York Daily News, breaking down all of that. First, want to tell you about Bet Online. With the NFL playoffs here and the NBA season in full swing, Bet Online has you covered with all the up to the second odds, news, and scores. With additional odds, lines, trends, and info on both desktop and mobile, you can access the world's best wagering information anytime. Head there today to get in on the action and see all the updated odds. Remember to use the promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. And remember, if you're listening to this or watching this on the YouTube page, we do YouTube live chats, live Q&As with fans on the YouTube channel at PL on NFL. Going to set an off-season schedule for that and get it to you, the fans, soon. Oh, because this, let's be honest, this is going to be a huge offseason. It already is from the coaching carousel to the NFL draft to what are the Giants going to do? Are they going to draft a quarterback? How are Joe Shane and Brian Dable and the franchise going to adjust and move into the third season of this regime? One where the pressure is certainly on. We are going to talk about all that, break it down, get you more breaking news as we did last week. Black Monday, telling the Giants fan base, telling the NFL world on my X account at P Leonard NYDN reporting that Wink Martindale, the defensive coordinator, was resigning. And if you have participated in the live chats and on the YouTube channel and you're a part of that community and a part of this community here on Talking Ball with Pat Leonard podcast with Believe, you know that we have been stressing to you, the fans, Giants fans, to tell you the truth about what's going on with your team that there was a lot of internal strife on staff and tension. And what this did is it came to a head at the end of the season. And what we want you to recognize and hope you recognize is that we were steering you in the correct direction all along. That's because that's what my job is. I think I'd like to say this, that I think a lot of people during losing seasons, when times get tough, you know, Critical words get said. Reports come out that don't make everybody happy. Um, my job is to report on the Giants and on the NFL. Nothing about this is personal. Anyone who is making it personal publicly or privately is misunderstanding uh, what the job is, what the business is. And as a lot of my mentors always have said to me, if I've had a bad day or I'm down, you know, this is the toy department ultimately, right? We are all fortunate to cover sports and talk about sports, but you know, we take it seriously. You take it seriously. And that's why what I want to do is always bring you the analysis and the information that is factual. And that is based on 
grueling and rigorous reporting. And doing a story like this on the New York Giants takes a lot of time, takes a lot of resources. Um, you know, it takes a discerning eye. And it also, once you have to put it all together and really um, double check where things are and make sure that every party has a voice and make sure you're being fair to everyone, as fair as you can be before you report what you are understanding the truth to be, even though it's not going to make a lot of people that happy. Um, but just wanted to stress that point. It's not personal, Sonny. It's only business. Um, so as we say that, we move on to the story. And the story is, as reported in the Daily News, that Brian Dable, Wink Martindale, Mike Kafka, Thomas McGahee, Joe Shane, the New York Giants, this is an operation this season where the Giants, especially starting in the middle of the season, were aware as an organization of how difficult things were getting, had gotten. The Jay Glazer report was not the first time that people in the Giants building became aware of difficult circumstances and personalities clashing and something that was building towards a possible fracture within the staff or on the team. That was just the first time it came out publicly. And obviously it came out in one of the biggest ways it could, which is on a national television uh, platform on Fox pregame from one of the preeminent newsbreakers in the business. But as I detail in my story, this is not about personal, uh, you know, individuals. This is not Brian Dable versus Wink Martindale. This is not the Giants versus Wink Martindale's defensive staff. This is not about Thomas McGahee and Brian Dable. It's not just about Mike Kafka and Brian Dable. This is about a collective picture of how they are operating. So again, not personal. So as we get into that, we set the scene in mid-November at Washington. The Giants were leading 24 to 12. They were two and eight at the time. And Wink Martindale's defense had forced tur four turnovers already in the game. McGahee special teams had forced another. And Kafka's offense had scored three touchdowns, two of which had come off of turnovers that gave the offense short fields. And, and yet at the end, the game's tightening up. Washington is driving and um, looking like they're about to score to narrow the lead, which they ultimately did. And according to several staff, uh, you know, several um, staff sources and sources in the building that I talked to, you know, at the end of this drive, uh, Washington's drive is aided by penalties, including Kayvon Thibodeau roughing the passer penalty outside the red zone. And if you remember, there were some penalties at the end of the Giants' tight loss to the Jets. Um, you know, a penalty on Kayvon Thibodeau and offsides and that, uh, a bad rush by O'Shane Zimenez uh, that allowed Zach Wilson to get outside the pocket. Regardless, the defense was playing well this day, and obviously when the Giants were playing well, was carrying the team throughout the season. And yet on the headset, numerous sources told me that Brian Dable started playing the blame game on Martindale and the defensive staff at that time of the game. And the quote was, quote, you're going to lose this game just like you lost us the Jets game. And so this was the type of behavior that was not out of the ordinary uh, for Dable on the sideline, like the finger pointing and the kind of divisive nature of it was not 
um, unusual, which obviously, listen, when you win, sometimes you can cover that up like they did the prior year. And um, if you're a team that even has a coach that is hard on people, but in a constructive way, um, I think collectively people accept it. But when there's a lot of problems from how that coach is managing games to the fact that when guys get MF'd on the sidelines, there isn't a suggested solution behind it. And those comments are not proactive to help. They are reactionary. And when your decisions in games as a head coach are viewed as unpredictable, which is the way that sources describe to me as one of his defining traits on these game days. And then to cap it all off, the offense is the Achilles heel of the entire team. In that moment, to be pointing the finger like that for everyone on the headsets to hear at the defense when we all know in the Jets game, yes, the whole team collapsed at the end of the game. There's no doubt about it. But it was started by the wrong decision to try to kick a field goal in the rain with an injured kicker when one yard with Saquon Barkley would have ended it for good. The Giants literally lost the game. They had a 99.7 chance to win, a 99.7% chance to win against the Jets. And so after the poor game management decision, all snowballs from there, the defense, of course, was a part of it. But, you know, the, the head coach has to manage the team and has to be somebody who is supporting the entire team. And you don't want an offense, offense versus defense mentality. And you certainly don't want in the moment in front of other people, especially if it's not really accurate, to be blamed specifically as a defensive staff for mistakes and for losses when that's not the full truth. Now, the interesting thing is while there were people telling me, as one team source said, that Brian Dable, quote, has no composure on the sideline on game days. Um, one of the most interesting parts, I think, of this story that kind of creates a full context for how this was being managed by the Giants is that Joe Shane, the general manager, was on the headset that day in Washington monitoring the coaches game day decisions, their communication, their collaboration, and the whole dynamic. And now, you know, Shane did this himself. This was one of the reasons he was monitoring the situation was uh, that several parties had come to him and informed him of the dynamic that was untenable and unsustainable. And that, um, you know, really the brunt of it focused on how Dable interacted with Mike Kafka, the offensive coordinator. And I'll get to that in a second, but there was a lot from his interaction with uh, Wink Martindale and the defensive staff to Mike Kafka and the offensive staff, Shane was informed of those things. And his response was to get on the headset starting in that game at Washington. Um, and he was actually on the headset for four games there. Uh, so he was on the headset for Washington, New England, Green Bay, and New Orleans before jumping off the headsets for the stretch run of the season there. Um, you know, Shane, from his vantage point, I think, you know, you're going to probably see more of that in the NFL. We've already seen like Nick Casario is on the headsets in Houston with the Texans. And then Will McClay in Dallas has done it as well. Um, a guy who also, you know, every time I say his name, I just have to say an incredible talent evaluator. You look at the amount, amount of talent on Dallas's roster year in and year out. It's just amazing how little credit he gets. And the fact that the Cowboys, obviously you understand why they don't let him out of the building, but just does an excellent job. 
in my opinion. But going back to the Giants, <clears throat> so from Joe Shane's standpoint, you're learning more about the game day process. You're getting involved. He's already a general manager who helps the game day, ro- makes the game day roster, not just the, the 90 man, the 53 man, uh, but also the, the game day, what is it, 46, uh, 48. Um, he's he's making those decisions. Who's going to be up? Who's going to be down? Uh, col- you know, collaborating with Brian Dable. But I, as you saw when Joe Shane explained that he was to blame for putting Eric Gray at punt returner and essentially forcing a player into a role that he didn't belong in, um, I thought that was a really good window for fans into what I've been explaining about his involvement on game day de- situations. But really, I think is driven home when you hear Joe Shane say that himself. Um, I think that's a that's a big deal and something that shouldn't be overlooked as far as his involvement and increased involvement. Regardless, you know, it still reflects that the general manager, the organization are aware at this time during this second meeting against Washington on the road at FedEx Field that the sideline dynamic with Dable and the coaches is a problem. And it's something that needs to be, um, you know, monitored and looked at. And obviously America had seen it for themselves in the game against Buffalo, the Sunday night football game, when uh, Melissa Stark, you know, at halftime, she said that Brian Dable comes off the field after the mismanagement of that end of half situation with Tyrod Taylor, and that he was so frustrated that he literally told Stark, quote, my head is not in this. I cannot focus on anything right now. And so the balance of all this, though, is, again, zoom out from the specifics and the personalities. And, you know, it's not about pointing a finger at Dable or pointing a finger at Martindale or pointing a finger at Kafka, pointing a finger at Shane or McGee. This is about the giants as a, as a process uh, are still broken and viewed as broken. And there are even people in the building, like one staffer advised a coach calling about a vacancy do not come here because um, the environment has a toxicity to it. And I think if I want people to get anything from the story that I wrote here, it is that, um, it is that it is intended to paint a full picture of the team and how the team was operating and what it means for the future of the team and what they need to clean up. That is the intention is to be a reporter who looks at the entire team and set and looks at the entire season and looks at all the dynamics and tries to report on all of what is going on and on the most important stories that are developing the best that I can and present it to you. So again, um, for anyone who's making this a personal thing and accusing, you know, throwing accusations around about individual personalities and trying to assassinate people's character, like this, this story, if you even look at this story, you know, the second sto- part of this story in the second section really centers on Mike Kafka and the offensive coordinator and the fact that, like, listen, we all saw in the preseason the tone that Dable set for the year staring down Thomas McGahee on the sideline. They had to do cleanup on, on aisle five on that one. Everybody knew McGahee didn't appreciate it. Other coaches didn't uh, think it was uh, a good look. Um, of course, you know, the PR uh, show happens and, you know, the team tries its best to move on. Uh, but, you know, this was nothing new. I mean, Dable had eviscerated people last season too. You know, DeAndre Smith, the running backs coach last year who ended up leaving for the Ind- Indianapolis Colts on, and he just uh, was on Shane Steichen's uh, staff this first year in Indianapolis. 
where the Colts uh, frankly exceeded a lot of people's outside expectations. You know, he was somebody who caught some of Dable's fury. And then we all seen Daniel Jones on the sideline get lit up, you know, in week one at Tennessee in Dable's rookie year when he wins coach of the year. Obviously, they win that game. Dable makes a gutsy call on the goal line to go for two. The Giants win. They start six and one. They make the playoffs. They win a playoff game. And so, again, you know, sometimes you can win and conceal some of these things or they don't get as much attention. But, you know, this has been going on since the first season started, but it's gotten worse. And then a, a brighter light gets shined on it as the losing happens and things spiral. Right. Uh, but frankly, if there's any consistent element of the dynamic that people did not like about this season, it wasn't Dable Martindale. It was Dable Kafka. Um, you know, Kafka, I mean, remember, he's young, mid-30s. Uh, Second-year offensive coordinator, came from the Kansas City Chiefs and Andy Reid, highly respected, and yet numerous sources told me throughout the reporting process for this story that he has received the brunt of Dable's fury. And so, um, you know, one source said he is constantly second-guessed. Like, we all know that Dable, he got this job because of the excellent work he did with Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills offense. and then to see the offense do so poorly so quickly um, in this season, the 40 to nothing loss where the special teams and offense really were the reason why the game was over even before it started. And that just set a tough tone for Dable where the giants end up trying to scramble to get it right. And you've heard me talk about how I didn't like how they ran a light training camp. I didn't think the team was ready to prepare uh, to play or prepared to play, you know, physically, mentally game plan wise for the start of this season, uh, this 2023 season. I think that falls on the general manager. I think that falls on the head coach. I think it falls on the training staff, uh, the the athletic training staff. I think it falls on that collaboration of how best to prepare guys. Um, obviously, it did not deter the team from suffering, um, you know, major injuries across the board as well, which were again a problem, and it needs to be revisited. And there needs to be a significant autopsy there as well. Uh, but again, you know, Dable, the way he would handle Kafka, just rub people the wrong way. Like he would, as one source told me, he would make Kafka run the ball. And then if he called a run that Dable didn't like, Dable would mother F Kafka. And um, that that's a great kind of example and snapshot of the type of dynamic it was. It's, you know, it's the proverbial beat somebody over the head. And then when there's a mistake made, blame that person, curse them out, and don't give them a suggested solution for the next time. So, you know, the Giants, of course, they start one and five. They only had one offensive touchdown total in those first five losses. Uh, the offensive line personnel wasn't good enough. That's on Joe Shane. And, um, you know, annual injury problem rears its head right from the jump. Uh, they go three straight games without an offensive touchdown against Seattle, Miami, and Buffalo from weeks four to six. And one player told me, I thought this was a really uh, poignant quote to describe the feeling of the Giants in the first third of this season. One player said to me, like last season, it was like we were riding a wave and now we're off the wave. I thought that was an excellent metaphor image. Um, you know, um, it was an excellent, you know, uh, description of here's the feeling we had in Minnesota after winning a playoff game. And look how quickly now we feel like this. 
you know, I thought that was a very well said. And um, so essentially what ends up happening is Dable took play calling away from Kafka multiple times during the season, um, including giving it to the quarterbacks coach, Shea Tierney, one of Dable's guys he brought from the Buffalo Bills. That was in week 10 in Dallas. And we'll get to that game in a second. But that was uh, during a game where, again, the Giants offense was letting the team down. And that was, of course, obviously the defense's worst game of the season. Um, but really, you know, just a lot of frustration that there was no rhyme or reason or pattern or predictability to when Dable would, um, you know, lose his cool or make a huge change or whatever it was, um, you know, kind of as one person put it, like you're living on the edge every week. It makes it tough to do your job. So um, not only did he take play calling away, but obviously I reported midseason that in week seven, after those three straight games without uh, touchdown offensive touchdowns. Dable took the offensive meetings away from Kafka, started running them himself, and then was involved in that process uh, intimately and increasingly more so than prior uh, from week seven until he gives it full control back to Kafka in week 11. And um, of course, during that stretch, the Giants only averaged 11.75 points during a one in three uh, skid there before he gives it fully Back to Kafka. And down the stretch, they did average um, or they did score 24 or more points in five of their final seven games. Um, but, you know, again, not about the individual personalities. One of the major frustrations and concerns for me and for Giants fans, for anybody connected to the Giants, should be the game management problems, right? And that's why, that's part of why that quote where he's blaming the defense for the Jets' loss is so confusing and concerning. And obviously it's a knee jerk on the sideline uh, type venting situation, but still like you're the head coach, you know, those, those words matter and they matter in a big way, especially when we're looking at a situation where again, coach of the year last year, Brian Dable. And like, you know, we'll get to this too, but I've talked to a lot of people in the building, players, staffers, executives, whatever, who they still believe in Brian Dable and believe that he built significant and meaningful enough capital that it buys him into year three. It has them still believing that he can get them there, get them back there. Like there are people in the organization who I've talked to um, who have said that. And so no, in no way am I trying to take away from that by mentioning all the things I'm mentioning in this story. Cause in this story, I do detail as well. Um, you know, the positives and the fact that, you know, the locker rooms behind him and that, um, you know, th that I've had a play, I had one player who told me just flat out, like getting us to the playoffs, given what we've done in the last five years and, you know, winning a playoff game like that still matters, right? We know this isn't going well, but that still matters. And that's, it's important to hear players say that, right? So not to take any, anything away from that, but we would also be lying to ourselves if we didn't address the elephant in the room when it comes to how these games are managed. And that goes back to the fourth and eight going for it near midfield in Philadelphia in the playoff game. That panic decision basically sent the message to the team. Uh, we're desperate already down seven, nothing. We don't have a shot unless we, you know, go to the wall, go to the wall and um, essentially play out of our skis and of course that backfired terribly and that 38 seven loss was over in the first quarter. And then in this season, like you have to admit, and again, there's other people involved in this, right? Kafka's involved in it. 
Martindale's involved in it, like in the Jets game when the Jets, that final drive, of course, the defense makes mistakes or you have a Dory Jackson pass interference and all that, right? So not, you know, it's not like uh, everybody, everyone involved in the operation has blood on their hands, so to speak, when there's big mistakes. But when you're the GM, everything falls on you. When you're the head coach, everything below you falls on you. And especially when you're the head coach who is not regularly calling plays on offense or defense, and your primary job is to manage the games, that's a big concern when that happens in the playoffs in Philadelphia. And then in Buffalo in week six, Tyrod Taylor gets a call into his headset that has a run check to a pass play involved rather than just giving him a pass play. Now, listen, Mike Kafka calling that play, right? Mistake. But Brian Dable, head coach, involved in managing that situation on the headset with Mike Kafka, a guy who got this job because he's an offensive coach and knows these situations and had all that success in Buffalo. And also, as NFL teams operate, you have conversations about certain situations like this in the offseason and every game week. And so those situations if they're not buttoned up, it falls back on the head coach who's managing that game situation. And that was mismanaged. The end of the Jets game was mismanaged, goes back uh, to Dable in that situation. And now listen, in Dable's defense, he's also taking advice in those moments from an analytics and game management staff. And like one source I talked to said that the collaboration between that analytics and game management staff and Dable is a broken process. That was the quote, a broken process, because according to this source, it's not thorough or advanced enough. And even though they discuss certain situations during the week, it's not thorough enough. And yet when they get to the game day situations, even if they've addressed, here's what we would like to do. It's like all the personalities. It still becomes like a knee jerk up for grabs impulse call without guardrails, right? Like, you know, there are teams in the league who have defined processes and thorough, detailed, extended conversations about certain scenarios that never come up because one of them will. And when it does, they've already talked about it on Wednesday or Thursday or Friday, whenever that team has those meetings. And now listen, your job as a head coach, as Brian Dable, right? Again, in his defense, like still there are times where you know you've talked about it but in the moment something feels different as far as what your team needs in that moment or um you know you know something about how a certain player's doing right like Graham Gano for example whatever the analytics were in the Jets game right his injury going into that game that the Giants were aware of as fa- and he had already missed a field goal in that game that has to factor into your decision right that has to factor into, into your decision But um, even though a head coach is paid to make those calls and ultimately kind of filter all the information and call it, there needs to be a process that you can count on and you need to hold each other accountable. You know, if you're trying to go rogue as the head coach and buck what you talked about earlier in the week, then you also need coaches on staff, whether it's analytics, game management, who are going to say, Coach Dable, like, no, we talked about this. Like, this is the sound thing. Here are the percentages. Remember, here's what we talked about. We have to do this. We can't do that, right? Um, and so that's all part of a good uh, a process. And I think um, one of the things this shines a light on is the fact that he wins the Coach of the Year award and for, you know, he did things to earn that. But also, this is a still a fledgling operation from general manager to head coach. This is a first-time regime. 
And so Joe Shane said it at uh, at the bye week. He's learning on the job, right? He said it. He's learned like he. There are things not you know he's not learning everything on the job, but he admitted that there are things that he has learned that he didn't know and that he's growing. And for a guy who's as confident openly and publicly as Joe Shane is, I actually thought that was a really revealing and honest comment about where he and where this regime and organization is, is like, you see these mistakes on a game day and it's like, oh yeah, even though he won coach of the year, or even though Shane got them to the playoffs last year with that roster, they are still, they still have a lot to learn. Right. And uh, you know, we're just talking about the giants right now. There's we'll, we'll get to the Eagles and some of these other teams in a second, but just staying on the course with this story for a second, the bottom line is in the game day operation, um, not buttoned up enough. So like one source said to me, um, you know, you get to those situations and then the knee jerk stuff up for grabs decisions happen. And it's like, wait, what did we have that meeting for? There's a lot of inconsistency or doing the direct opposite of what we had talked about. The rest of the league is too far ahead and you see it affecting the results of games. Now coming back to Martindale and Dable and that situation, you know, Essentially, during the Week 10 blowout loss in Dallas, so this is the one where Tierney called the plays in the second half, um, and this is also the game before Joe Shane ends up on the headsets. Um, the Giants' offense had 27 yards and one first down in the first half. The defense ends up caving, of course, and giving up 640 yards. Um, you know, the, the week before was a bad week for the defense too, in Vegas and the offense as well. Coming off of the trade of Leonard Williams, but Joe Shane did get a second round pick. I think the Giants understood the business part of that, even though people, some people didn't like it. And at least when I was talking to the players during that time, they said it wasn't as much the trade of Leonard. Like they kind of understood the business part. They said like, it was, you know, a lot of guys were talking around it, but like one guy said to me just flat out, um, you know, that the weight of the offense struggling was just becoming too much. Like he said, you know, we have to be perfect because of the offense right now on defense and it's hard. And that was really, I think in that Dallas game where they had some injuries in the secondary and then it all fell apart. Of course, Dallas until the playoffs was a, uh, was steamrolling people at home. The giants, of course, no exception over the years, but in that game, as the Cowboys were running it up on the defense and the giants were giving up these big chunk plays in the passing game, Dable was, ripping the defense so frantically and constantly, according to sources I talked to, that it was actually interfering with the play calling process. And Martindale, according to several sources I talked to, actually asked Dable to stop so he could get the next play in to the defense. And so it was that it was gumming up the works. And so Shane ends up on the headsets um, the next week monitoring the the situation and watching the game day collaboration. So Bringing it full circle to Dable and Martindale, um, you know, there were signs from the first day or of training camp that they were together, that it was not going to be a relationship um, that would necessarily work. You know, so like if you guys remember after the first three or four days of training camp in their first camp together, I was writing like if Daniel Jones doesn't shape up right now, this is before he gets his, gets his new contract, right? I wrote a story that I caught a lot of heat saying, Tyrod Taylor's like out, out here outperforming Daniel Jones. And if Jones doesn't ship up, like he's not going to be the starting quarterback, you know, four weeks into this season or whatever it is. Right. And um, that was because the offense was getting dominated in practice at the start of that training camp. And now Dable kind of let a perception grow that 
Um, he had tipped off the defense to play calls in order to create a, a challenge for Jones and the offense, um, which, you know, would have made, made it look like the offense wasn't struggling, but that he had a strategy behind making it more challenging on them. But, you know, sources I talked to, like the reality was that Martindale's pressure packages, they were giving the offense so many problems and so many fits that Dable told Martindale he was going to put a limit on his blitzes for the rest of camp. And so then the offense, you know, started getting out from its early rut, hitting some passes and gaining some confidence. And now you do want both sides of the ball to gain confidence, but in general, it kind of set a tone for like an offense versus defense dynamic that really never uh, subsided in their culture. I was always there either as an undercurrent or presently uh, kind of in your face. And um, that it didn't go in the offense's favor, obviously, based on the offense's performance and trajectory into this season. So um, the defense ends up finishing this year with more takeaways, 31, and the offense had touchdowns, 25. Uh, the defense also scored three touchdowns on pick sixes on its own. If I remember correctly, uh, Jason Pinnock, uh, Isaiah Simmons, and Adoree Jackson. And um, the offense scored more than 14 points only once in the Giants' first nine games. And so the defense caves in the middle of the season there after the Williams trade as the offense just isn't scoring. And this is when, you know, Dable's trying to get a handle on the offense with Kafka, taking the meetings away, taking play calling away multiple times and that sort of thing. And, um, you know, we of course know that this ends up building towards the Jay Glazer report. But I think even before that, the Xavier McKinney situation after the Raiders game you know, McKinney publicly criticizing the coaching staff after that week nine loss to the Raiders was, I think, a good window into the rift between Dable and Martindale. Um, you know, Dable tried to keep the fallout of it in-house. He didn't appreciate that Martindale put McKinney on blast publicly a few days later at uh, his press conference while Dable was essentially saying we handled it internally. They didn't bench McKinney. They didn't uh, hold him out for a series. Um, he didn't criticize what he said at all. And so you can look at that from two different vantage points. There's no question about it. Some viewed uh, Dable's lack of public consequences for McKinney, though, and the fact that it eventually leaked that he wasn't happy with Martindale for saying things critically of McKinney. Um, there were some people in the building who viewed that as a head coach, kind of finding an opportunity to choose a player over the defensive coordinator if that makes sense. And, um, you know, of course you can have different philosophies as coaches on how to handle a situation like that. But I think ultimately, you know, when I was observing that whole situation, I thought I didn't think there was anything wrong with Martindale holding McKinney accountable, which is what I viewed it as. I mean, in the modern NFL, you know, if you publicly say, a player's never done this to me. It's never happened in my career. I couldn't believe it happened, this and that. You know, nowadays that qualifies as putting a player on blast. Um, but really, I think what it was, was, you know, in the defensive room and the defensive meeting rooms and the way they run that defense, it was a way of Martindale saying, let's not fracture, let's stick together because we're not going to be any good if we fracture and point fingers at each other. Let's get together and not blame ourselves. You don't blame me. I don't blame you. You know, if we lose, we all have a part in it. If we win, we all have a part in it. And I don't think holding a player accountable is a negative. I think there were a lot of people who view that 
as well, which is why there were kind of different viewpoints on that. And of course, the outcome after McKinney gets blasted into the night, essentially, by Martindale, who was, who was frustrated and, as he said, personally hurt by the safety's comments. The result was, you know, McKinney played by far his best football uh, the second half of the season after that. Um, and then even, you know, the safety, I, I was actually surprised by this too, that McKinney on Christmas, you know, I reported a bunch of different presents that guys uh, got everybody like, you know, Daniel Jones and the quarterbacks and Saquon getting those $5,000 travel vouchers for all the offensive linemen, active roster and practice squad. I'm, I was at McKinney's locker and he says to me that uh, he bought people the Kobe, the Nike Kobe Grinches. And I had never seen those shoes before. And then it dawned on me that Martindale had had these really bright shoes on at practice. And it turned out that McKinney had bought Dable and Martindale, uh, maybe Jerome Henderson too, but he had bought a bunch of people, but including Dable and Martindale, these new shoes, these uh, awesome shoes, by the way, you know, McKinney's showing them to me and I'm saying they have, they have those in my size, right? Uh, but I thought that was pretty interesting because I think the public perception was after that moment, you know, that it was, you know, complete nastiness and him against him and, you know, Martindale and Dable and McKinney and all that. I think it was just one instance that when you look at it individually shines a light on how the, there were kind of differing opinions on how to handle things and where the friction was starting to grow. But it did not result in Martindale and McKinney um, you know, severing a relationship or not working constructively together, because obviously they end up helping the giants finally beat the Eagles in this two year run under Shane and Dable finally get a win over either the Cowboys or Eagles in what is it? Nine meetings. I think, are they one and eight, including the playoffs maybe in that, in that stretch. But point is the defense got together after that, that could have been the start of it snowballing against them and causing fractures in the defense. Instead, it ended up resulting in a three-game winning streak where Tommy DeVito was getting all the headlines. And kudos to Tommy for stepping in and helping the team, you know, especially the three touchdown passes in Washington, capitalizing on situations. Really well called game by Mike Kafka in those moments, by the way. And then also, you know, uh the Green Bay game with the rushing yards and using his feet. But uh, we all know that in that stretch, the Giants were winning games and competitive in those games because of the defense, right? Um, and that was the backbone of the team. And so, you know, that was a constructive way to move out of this McKinney situation that could have just blown up the entire season. So uh, that said, the week after Tom Rinaldi on on Fox, veteran sideline reporter and just a journalist in general noted that you know he's covered a lot of games and that he said it was an extended and out of or, out of the ordinary conversation from end of the second quarter across halftime into the early third quarter between uh Dable and Martindale and then Jay Glazer reports in week 12 before the Patriots game that Martindale and Dable are in a bad place ultimately we know that day Dable ends up giving so he gave the game ball actually to McKinney to break the team down after the Washington game which was very interesting um, and then he ends up giving the game ball to Martindale after the Patriots game, which, you know, unfortunately those types of gestures could be viewed as positives and uh, heartwarming. But in this sit situation and instance, it was viewed as just a transparent, like kind of public relations move to try to smooth things over after 
uh, the friction between the coaches and those problems and the tension offense to defense, Dable Martindale had come to light. And again, it wasn't just about Dable and Martindale, even though that's what came out. It was a brief window into the fact that this is a wider problem organizationally, more coaches involved. The Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Team being aware. The general manager being on the headset, monitoring it uh, because of what he has heard, along with some other motivations to um, learn about the kind of the game management process. And so... Dable still kept control of the locker room, though. And Joe Shane said in his postgame, uh, postseason press conference that Brian Dable's team fighting hard down to the finish, he thought reflected well on him despite the poor season. So that is something that, of course, carried weight for Joe Shane, carried weight for the organization. Um, and as I said, players, um, staffers, coaches, executives, there are people who have told me that Dable did buy meaningful capital into next year. Although all those people, um, I think, agree that, you know, if this year's type of football and issues persist into year three, uh, that the pressure is is high. And it's certainly high on Dayball. Um, wonder how high it would be on Shane, too. I think constructing a, a an offense that is functional, an offensive line that is functional, uh, would be a huge step there. Um, and obviously is what needs to happen. But you know, Martindale had a ton of support too. I mean, the players loved playing for him. Bobby O'Karake was strongest with me, telling me in November that losing Martindale would be devastating. And, you know, even Kayvon Thibodeau, right before the end of the season, told me, like, I'm not worried about Wink leaving. It was almost like they they thought, yeah, we've heard all these things and, you know, uh, maybe things aren't ideal and great, but like that couldn't happen, right? How could we do that? Like, look at how this defense is played. How could we get rid of Wink Martindale. How could we lose Wink Martindale? That doesn't make any sense. And you're right. It doesn't make any logical football sense. But when you take that of the full picture and snapshot of how the Giants operation was short circuiting, it becomes a lot more clear. Um, so simply, you know, there were even some players who just grew tired of the entire dynamic. Um, and, you know, whether they support it or not, like one player told me just too many egos, too many egos. And then, of course, we come to Black Monday when the Giants fire uh, the Wilkins brothers, Drew Wilkins, um, Kevin Wilkins, two people who have publicly been dragged through the mud. Uh, very strange to see that. I think very ugly. I don't like that um, when people leave a building like the Giants, there are um, there are efforts to smear people's reputations and uh, honestly, like I only know uh, the Wilkinses through Drew Wilkins, the outside linebackers coach, talking at uh, assistant coach availability about the outside linebackers. I typically go over there, ask him three questions about Kayvon, and then go on to the next, right? Um, and I think that's been really weird when I really kind of view their firings as um, shrapnel or um, kind of. Uh, collateral damage of the Martindale Dable situation, you know, uh, you know, according to my sources, 
Martindale blows up a day bowl when he finds out they're firing the Wilkinses without consulting Martindale. None of that conversation uh, had happened. And, um, you know, really all it did was expedite kind of Martindale's plan, though, to escape what had become an untenable, unhealthy losing situation in New York. Tells Dable, go F yourself, and then left the building and the team. That's when I reported. I was the first one to report, broke the news that Wink Martindale was resigning, leaving the team in the process of resigning. And that is what happened. Uh, the team and their uh, their friends end up uh, kind of trying to put it in a nice little box, mutual parting of ways, that kind of thing. But really, the, one of the most fascinating underrated parts of this is that Martindale walked away from $3.25 million in 2024 to get to a different situation. I think that really is kind of going overlooked how dramatically unusual um, that is. And, you know, he did it um, and is, of course, you know, now available for teams uh, interviewing defensive coordinator positions, uh, head coach vacancies, if that comes. I saw, uh, you know, uh, a report that he was interviewing with the Jacksonville Jaguars for their def defensive coordinator vacancy, Doug Peterson's staff, see how that goes. But frankly, I think that, you know, that's a high price to pay for a coach to just walk away from. But clearly, in my opinion, um, from the outside looking in and talking to sources around this, it looks like Martindale obviously decided that his freedom to pursue another opportunity that wasn't with the Giants and, you know, in defense of the Wilkins reputation, like that that was worth it to him. And um, you just don't see that a lot, right, in the NFL. But uh, I will say this, like, if the if the Wilkinses were horrible coaches who deserve to get fired, you know, like people are loyal in the NFL. But, you know, if you if I were a coordinator and I had some friends who were coaches under me and they were doing a crap job and they lost their jobs because their units were the weak link on a team. You know, I don't I don't think I'd be that shocked or, or you know, I think I would kind of recognize why there was a need. Um, so, you know, I'm not quite sure. Um, you know, it all adds up. I think there's a lot of versions of this story that are being peddled. Um, and that I think I, I hope that you guys understand that what I try to bring to you is what's happening behind the scenes. And I think you can go back and listen to our YouTube lives reminder at PL on NFL YouTube live chats. We talk giants, we talk NFL, we talk all of that, but the bottom line is the problems still persist with the giants. Unfortunately, I uh, wish they did not, but um, they now have to fill vacancies on their staff. Um, you know, even the special teams vacancy, Thomas McGahee, I have a story coming out soon on Jamie Gillen and Graham Gano and Casey Kreider uh, raving about, the punt game and how they revolutionized things with the rugby style punting with Jamie's skill set to really help field position, um, you know, among the league leaders in punting and really doing things that had other teams coming to them, constantly asking them how they conceived it, what were they doing um, and looking for the secrets to kind of try to emulate it. Something that might come down the road. There were some weaknesses on special teams, but frankly, just a bad situation with the giants that they need to figure out. They need to bring good people in, um, hopefully not deterred from doing that by other people in the building saying, don't come here because the situation still feels toxic to them. The good news for the giants and for giants fans, the Eagles look terrible. Uh, the Cowboys are reeling. Could bill Belichick end up coaching the Dallas Cowboys ultimately in division. We will see word around the league is Atlanta Falcons, but with an eye on if there's a change in Dallas, we'll see about that. 
Philadelphia, who knows, could be everyone out under Sirianni and him staying, could be him out as well. Mike Vrabel, Arthur Smith combo, head coach, our uh, offensive coordinator. Is, you know, is that a crazy thing to think about? Mike Tomlin, will he enter the fray if he lives, leaves and steps away from the Pittsburgh Steelers? If they part ways, does he become an option for some of these teams? You know, really an explosive coaching circuit right now with a lot of big names. Pete Carroll out in Seattle, Jim Harbaugh. Uh, word is the Chargers is the match there, but Michigan going to try to keep them as well. But just a fascinating time in the NFL, and we will have it all right here on the Talking Ball podcast with Pat Leonard at PL on NFL on YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram at P Leonard NYDN on X. My story, by the way, my first post of my exclusive story with the Giants at 1.2 million views and counting on X. Thank you so much, Giants fans, NFL fans. I'm also on threads with the same handle. Reminder, we are sponsored by Bet Online and by Estate 98 Coffee and Essencia de Cafe from El Salvador. Dates back to 1798. Go get it at Estate 98 Coffee on Instagram. This has been Pat Leonard from the Daily News and for the Believe Network. We will see you next time on the podcast and on the YouTube live chats. Talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.